0: We humans were made to make a difference in the world and each of us has somewhere maybe deep within us a sense of how we are designed to do that a love a longing a gift we want to develop and deploy into the world for the common good and each of us has or has had at some point a job that thing we do to pay our bills to feed ourselves or our family to make ends meet often maybe too often Who we are designed to be and what we find ourselves doing are mismatched, and we feel a dissonance, a friction in our souls and in our sense of our meaning in the world. When who you are and what you do don't match, today on Don't Hold Me to This. I was thinking over the last week that we often uh, construe the course of our life as a journey Mm -hmm. with a starting point and some kind of discernible destination. Um, And, um, and I don't know if we do this on, on purpose, if we do this with forethought, but in my experience, like we tend to think about it as mostly Positive movement from somewhere that we don't want to be um, y- youth or uh, some geographical location or uh, uh, some state of lacking some skill or experience or education. And then we starting we, salary. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, maybe it's mostly that, <laughs> mostly not making enough money. Um, and then we imagine a kind of steady climb in positive movement toward that thing that feels like a um, feels like a, a positive move away from the place where we started whatever that place is I wonder if that used to be true uh, I think that's kind of the like anytime I think about the 1950s that's the way I imagine people you know, they work for one company at an entry-level position when they just graduate from college or they just finish high school and trade school. And they're at that place for 50 years, amassing really wonderful skills and experiences and knowledge and a great retirement account. And then, and then they have this great send-off from this community that they've been a part of for the better part of 50 years. And then they do whatever they want to do in retirement and um and i think that my life has been a journey but not that kind and i don't know i don't know exactly what to do with the expectations maybe kind of unknown expectations mm-hmm. that it was maybe not going to look exactly like that but it was going to at least map to it to a degree and my sense from your piece is that Lurking in the background is that kind of like mythology of individual progress from a lesser state to a greater state mm-hmm. that maybe is in some way lurking behind all of our stories, all of our all of our senses of ourself and all of our um, expectations for the future and all of our moments of disappointment um, in some way have that specter of individual progress through a journey but always to onto a better thing Um, and i just wonder well i mean i think i first i wonder what it's like i was going to say what it's like to have come to a cul-de-sac but that that's only it that's only a fit metaphor if we allow for the mythology of like individual positive progress to kind of be in charge right um, what is it like to have come to a place where well to put it in really simple terms you're just not doing the thing that you always imagined you'd be doing
1: yeah um as i think that's certainly true that that kind of sense of progress and that the, the kind of the stories we tell ourselves, you know, whether it's, you know, you got to put, you know, put in your time, but once you put in your time, you're going to get the salary. And these, you know, there's this, there's sort of these rites of passages built into our system, even though we don't really don't really honor them like, uh, like uh, cultures of old, um, or maybe just cultures around the world. Um, So I think that's true. And I think that can, that certainly can uh, add to a sense of disappointment and, and, and despair when, when things, when you come to that cul-de-sac or whatever, things don't go the way that you'd planned or hoped. And, and I don't, I but I, you know, as you set that 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 up for me, um, it, it sets my brain to kind of spinning as to where that story sits in the background and where I would have gotten it from. Um, and and I do think there's, I think my story, or at least some of what's in my piece, is a little different than that. Um, in that, um, but I'll, we can talk about that in a minute. And one of the things I th- that I I've thought of that I had mentioned even kind of uh, alluding to in my piece, but it just, it would have, it would have expanded the length of it more than than I wanted to for this, you know, for what we're doing here. Um, but it's something that you said to me in early in the days after the accident, which is we often... You know, in the church, it seems like we only tell our stories as resurrection stories. Um, and so, I as you were te- as you were setting that up, I was thinking of, I was thinking, yeah, and even of the stories of the people we know where the where their journey took this wrong turn, right? We still only tell it after, but then he came, went on to be president. And you're like, oh, well, cool you know sign me up how long do i have to wait before this this downturn turns into you know the great windfall
0: even the metaphors we use for it because w- w- the words that came to mind when you were talking about that e- even the guy who who experiences some negative downturn in his upward journey he doesn't get to tell his story on stage for example until he has the words that came to mind were until he's gotten back on track that right. he was on track and that the 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 deviation from that expectation is him getting derailed in the metaphor um which is not where a train's supposed to be right and and the only the only possible solution is is to keep that metaphor going is to put the train back on the track that we've all agreed will be the way that we metaphorize our growth as human beings, rather than to like, what if we built new tracks over to where the train is, you know what I mean? Uh, Uh, Over to where the train is now.
1: Yeah. Because if his story doesn't get back on track, we don't tell it. We We don't, we don't
0: let him talk. That's right. We feel sad about it. We might,
1: we might commiserate with that person over it for a time we don't we don't tell it um this i mean this this is interesting i've been had intended to talk about this but I, I have a friend who's a who's an economist who studies these things and uh you know he, he you know he brings he talks about that the american story of this is the land of opportunity where you can go from nothing to you know Whatever president, or and um, and he says, you know, it's interesting because this the statistics show that among developing nations, we're the we're the we're one of the worst
0: Hmm. Mm
1: -hmm. uh, places of opportunity for somebody to go from low, low, lower class or middle class and actually work their way into. But so it seems like what you're what you've put before us is there is a kind of story, there is a kind of storytelling that shapes the American identity mm-hmm. that um certainly is a part of that um that sense of this is what this is this is what a good story looks like. It's a story of movement from lesser to greater and that's what it that's the great hope of america and and those are the stories we tell um for the most part
0: and i um, and i think to this to the extent that the american story is at least in in some ways and i think really important ways is a at bottom a religious story a kind of mm, increasingly evangelical christian story uh I was going to say for better or worse but really what I mean is for worse. <laughs> um it it is that it is that taking of the of the grand sweep of the biblical narrative from undeveloped garden through fall and a crumbling death resurrection and then a kind of full-on restoration which i genuinely believe is the shape of the story of the world and writing it small in our own lives as though our own lives will follow that same trajectory Mm -hmm. and 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 it it strikes me that the reason i think in in this scenario why we are so reticent to allow the the guy With a broken story which has not yet and maybe never will experience the kind of resolution that that our expectations would 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 write out for him the reason we don't let him tell that story is precisely because it doesn't map to the expectations that the kind of evangelical the evangelical sense of the shape of the story requires like i remember saying a few a few conversations ago that that um i'm 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 afraid that i'm a i'm a um i'm an extra in an otherwise really wonderful movie <laughs> but i don't get to play a part in it um and uh i think that maybe we've decided that if we don't experience some discernible, tangible, uh, generally wealth oriented resolution to our story, then we're just extras and we don't actually make a real impact in our neighborhood or in our family or in our, in our community or in the world. Yeah,
1: I think that's true. And I, I think maybe there's something even to that, right? Yeah. Um uh there's so there's a couple things that that kind of contradict each other in in my mind one is um we were you know the biblical story is is one that says we were meant to play a part and that part was certainly to would would bring glory it would yeah it yeah. would it would bring flourishing and wholeness and and um and it would it would it would redound back to us in our own goodness and our own sense of place in the world right right and so so to to be an extra in that story is I guess better than nothing, but it's <laughs> sure. it's still but to have a speaking part seems like that's better than being an extra right it seems like there's something in our humanity that longs to have a role right in the making of this story um and so there's that and then i think about you know paul's use of the metaphor of the body and the that all the parts are worthy of honor and so maybe part of the problem is the what, what we honor and um, what we in our world and he, the reason he was having to say that is because in his world, certain parts were honored over others. Right. And um, and so there there seems to be a fracture coming from both direction. Right. The fracture in that we were meant to play a part in a, in a meaningful and significant part. And that's, I think, woven into our very being by God as image bearers. But there's also this other part of that that then has on the other side, which has framed the honoring of of roles in a way that that exacerbates when um, it exacerbates that sense of of being out of place or or um, being insignificant in right. in the role our our story is playing
0: there's two things that come to mind that i that i think are feeding into that sense um at least two things i'm sure there's a lot more one is this very old sense of the of the language of vocation um that even up through the protestant reformation vocation was a singular thing that your vocation was the one thing in fact we used to refer to it as your station it's the one thing that you are called to by God to do for the rest of your life. And so to move off of that one thing is to move off of the calling that God has made and the plan that he's written out for your life. It is to get off the tracks and the tracks are singular. They're only, they're, they, they go in one direction. There's no, there's no fork and there's no Y and there's no change station like this the one set of tracks that have been laid out for your life, and if you move off of it, it means you've been derailed. That's the only possible alternative. Uh, and I think I don't think that there's a good reason to 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 from the biblical story. I don't think there's a good reason to construe it in that way.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I think that's one reason why getting to the place where both of us are in our lives, where if we allow the train track mythology to, to hold sway, we're both derailed. <laughs> yeah. um, that's one reason why it feels like we're derailed. I think because deep, embedded deep down in our sense of ourselves is that there's this one thing we've been called to, and and we expected to do it for our whole lives because that's what God wanted for us. And and now we're not doing it. And so we are, we're off the track, but I think there's another thing um and it and it comes out in your piece in in like, uh, in the spaces between the words, um, and it's that it's that it's the it's the words that the one voice said to you, um, after your accident that why don't you just go swing a hammer, and that word just is what one of my seminary professors called a damnable qualifier. It's, it's this one four-letter, single-syllable word that strips the next phrase of any possible import or meaning. Why don't you just go swing a hammer? As though people who swing hammers aren't incredibly skilled and gifted and called to do that work um, and, and, and are doing that work as a part of the story of restoration in the world. Why don't you just go be a plumber? Why don't you just go be a truck driver? Why don't you just go? And it, it's generally the kind of blue what we what would what we call blue collar jobs that are um, often considered as less than. Um, and and I think that for me at least that's another part of the of the weight of a lost sense of calling that I have to discard. Because I'm not doing the thing that, that um, I thought that I would be doing for all of my life. I'm not doing the thing that I went to go to school for um, and studied my eyeballs out for a year after my master's degree to pass those damn ordination exams. That's not
1: nothing, right?
0: It's not nothing. And, 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 and you can see why the um, why that feels like a doubling down on this sense that I'm no, I, I really am off track because I did all this work to get to this place that only lasted for, you know, about four or five years depending on how we construe it. Um, and now I'm not there anymore. Um, but what if what if the guy would have said to you, what if he went and swung a hammer like what if he said it with real a real sense of aspiration and hope and expectation and meaning and importance how would that change for you i could imagine it being different for me somebody inviting me to rethink my sense of of uh, another possible chapter in my vocation that includes some other type of work
1: well, I don't know. It's hard to hard to imagine how I would have responded. I think for me in that moment, that still would have been um, a vote of no confidence.
0: Totally, yeah. And right as you started saying that, I I, I, I recognized that I this whole thing for me just now was a kind of exercise in missing the point because the point was what he was saying to you was now that you've been wounded in this way, here's a vocation that you're no longer fit for.
1: You can't, we can't have you blading all over this.
0: <laughs> right. Right.
1: Um, so, yeah, I, I do think though, that, that um, I do, I do hear what you're saying. And I was kind of caught off guard because I was like, I I can't go swing a hammer. I don't have that skill. That's, mm. You, so it was really it was really troubling because like I have a, this vote of no confidence and I can't make a living swinging a hammer because that takes that takes a lot of time to develop that skill um, to to support a family and I'm now in you know I'm now in Eugene or I have all this you know that's just not a that's not something you just go do it's something that takes um time and effort now i i think your point though is is certainly a point well taken which is as i have transitioned from you know that particular um pastor into <laughs> um my doordash career um uh i, I certainly um and as I've, as I've worked, as I've tried to work through my story and what, what it means and what, how I'm supposed to lean into what I have, not what I wish I had or whatever. I am looking for places where whatever that, that next more kind of uh, income driven vocation is, is, um, is is, is aspirational, not just perfunctory and, and pragmatic. Uh that is certainly um something that that I can imagine where somebody um willing to like apprentice me in a in a in a a, a vocation that um then I I could, I could see myself going, okay, I'll, I'll learn a skill under, under that kind of, um, direction and, and kindness and care for what, for what the, the vocation is and what it, what it brings to, to bear in the world.
0: Hey friends, it's Jeremy. Thank you genuinely for listening to this episode of don't hold me to this. We're honored that you listen, honored that you read our writings over on Substack, and just honored that you'd be a part of this podcast with us. We'd really appreciate your help in growing this effort. You can do that by sharing with your friends, our episodes on YouTube or Spotify, and by clicking the like button, subscribing, following, and leaving a comment. Even if just to say Kevin was here. It will all really help us out. Also, sign up for our written pieces at don't hold me to this.substack.com. Okay, thanks a ton, and back to the conversation. The analogy that we were working with was like the train tracks, and we we feel like we're off track, right? And the only way to correct that is to get back on track. um and and we said, well, one of the ways that we can combat that feeling of callinglessness is to reframe our sense of of the of the operative metaphor. Yeah. Um, maybe maybe my problem is that I've looked at a very narrow imagination of what it means to be a pastor, and and when I felt called to be a pastor that's that's all that my mind could imagine was being a pastor within an institutional setting and when i'm when i wasn't that anymore it felt like now i'm off track and maybe one intervention for the way i feel about that is to reimagine what it means to be called and that thing to which i was called um another another thing was to um, revisit our sense of the value of other work, the cosmic restorative uh, value of the work of swinging a hammer, of resetting a toilet, of making a chair, of fixing a stoplight, of writing a parking citation making an espresso, digging a hole. One of the things that we have said, maybe repeatedly through all of our conversations, is that I've said this. I think you nodded your head when I said it. <laughs> what I say to the people that I'm meeting with as a uh, in a pastoral counseling capacity, whatever their job is, I say to them that what they're doing is what God is doing in and through them for the life of the world. I genuinely believe that their, their work, the thing that they do every day with their hands or with their mind is a part of God's activity of restoring the world, um, bringing it to that, that garden city that we all had envisioned in the beginning. And, um, and I think it's easy, I think it's easy to imagine how we're doing that as pastors, because our vocation is talked about in the Bible, preaching and counseling and teaching and all that sort of stuff. It's harder to imagine, but I think it's equally true that the man digging a ditch to, to redirect some runoff away from a city center to, to manage flooding. He is also doing this restorative work. That's moving us ever closer to the garden city that we all long for. Um, It's just as pastors, I think we haven't had the imagination for how to talk about that from the pulpit in our counseling in our teaching as we think about the sweep the broad sweep of the biblical story we don't often think specifically of the ways that all of these vocations across the spectrum are included in the movement of that story yeah
1: yeah and i think you know i think just in terms of going you know from from where i'm coming from in In terms of my piece, Mm -hmm. swinging a hammer, Mm -hmm. um, I think it. So I think it it comes down to what. It comes down to that deeper sense of, or maybe not deeper maybe not the right way to say it. That internal, interior sense of calling, like Mm -hmm. what am I supposed to be doing? Yeah, yeah. In this world, right? Do I have to contribute? And, um. And so, prior to the accident, that interior sense and even the external sense of what was confirmed in terms of my gifts and abilities and and the things that that were shaped by my moving through the world in relationship to to others, the uh, being a pastor made sense.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, driving uh, for DoorDash uh driving for a food delivery app. Um I don't I don't this segment sponsored by DoorDash.
0: <laughs> I, don't,
1: I don't know if we need to uh, to protect the innocent in this. Well no, they're not innocent. But um drive you know driving for DoorDash is um it what what I'm wrestling with existentially is how to make sense of that. And so I think part of what we're, maybe what, maybe, maybe the tracks that we're dealing with, some of it, what we're dealing with in terms of the tracks and needing, needing to reform that metaphor is something we've also talked about regularly, which is humans' interior sense of their self and their purpose in the world. Yes. And what they do in the world were by design intended to match that there was not intended to be this sort of this the, the 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 disconnect that we maybe we all feel on some level in our humanity of what i feel like i'm called to do and what i long to do and what i love to do and what, the, what I have to do in this world to earn an income to keep the lights on and the gas in the tank and food on the table. And and that is part, and so that for me has been disrupted and it's been disrupted in a really profound way. That's this um, stew of all kinds of things that are hard to disentangle and make sense of. Um, and so I think Part of the metaphor of I'm off track is, is to, is to, I think at least accept that, that the tracks were real or they were only as, they were only as good as they, as they lasted. They, they, they're not the thing itself. The tracks aren't the thing and where we thought they were headed aren't the thing. There's something else that's got to be the thing that then gives shape to this um, sense of vocation and meaning and purpose in the world. All the while, we also have to just pay the freaking bills, right? There's there's that that side of the equation. So, does that make sense? Am I
0: totally? And it makes me sort of reframe the question. Um because what you articulated is your cognitive dissonance with with delivering food is not a sense of a lower value in the work of delivering food no there's things it's, about it
1: i really enjoy <laughs>
0: right 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 it's just not you it's just not who it's you not. are it's not yeah. what you sense is the is the calling internally uh, from god um, to the kind of work that you feel both designed for and equipped for by both your education and experience and everything else. So, so then the, I think the, it's a similar question. Um, what do you, what do you do at that point? What do you do when y- you know, I've got to do a thing that's yes, richly valuable, but is not me.
1: I think our humanity demands that we hold to maybe two things that may at times feel like they're working at cross purposes. One of the things that I do, So one of the things that I do know is that I was probably in a mild depression. Um, for the last several months, and as soon as I said "screw this," pulled up the job application, applied that night, was cleared, and could start working the next day, and did start working the next day. On a whim, I thought, "I've got an hour. I'll just try this," and I wound up working the whole evening, and that depression that 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 low level depression began to lift pretty it lifted pretty quickly just as i was contributing and working and um doing something so there's there, there there's a there's a real there's humanity in our labors whatever they are and they and and that needs to be brought into the story um and then i think the other thing is we have to also hold out a bit of resistance to what the world is telling us the story that the world is telling us um and when i when i say that what i think of it is the world is telling us that um, the good life is built around um, the maximization of profit. It's built around um, efficiency and ease. Um, It's built around bigger is better and more is better. Um, And I really, as an American, I have, the privilege, I have certain privileges of imagining leaning into my sense of calling also as my vocation. And, and what I would say to that, you know, we, this was, you know, going through the, you know, Allender training, Dan Allender's training on, they talk about vocation. One of the things that no, this is actually from uh, um, Adam Young. Adam Young, is that right? Therapist in Colorado. He says, um, and he's drawing from Allender's teaching as well. But he says, it, if you're able, then if you live in a situation where this is actually a possibility, then you we all should pursue... Our vocations matching as closely as possible, that interior sense of this is who I am. This is what I love. This is what I enjoy. This is not only do I have the skill at this, but this brings life to my soul when I do it. I'm even willing to suffer through the the stuff that I don't like about it because I enjoy this. Um, and so those are the two. The two aspects of it that I think that come to mind when you when you ask the question the way you did it is, um, one, there's our humanity is brought to life in the in the very contribution that we offer in whatever work it is, and if wherever we're able. And to whatever degree, even if it's eking out, you know, um, in in a kind of resistance to the machine of the world, we live in resistance to that. To do those those things, even the ones that don't really match our interior sense of calling, we we lean into those things with some sense of, no, I'm I'm going to push back on just being a cog in this process. I'm going to bring my humanity to bear in this as fully as I can. Um and and then I think look for ways to to maybe, you know, if if it's at all possible, find the places where find an other places that where those things are are valued and brought to life. Um uh if that you know, if that means shifting jobs or what you do outside of your you know your job, your actual income earning job um living in such a way that you' you're you're making room for, those deeper human parts of you to to come to come to the surface and 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 be expressed and enjoyed and yeah so i think for me you know driving driving for doordash is a huge juxtaposition from being a pastor who at the moment of the accident was sort of about as buoyant as I've ever been in my life about what I was doing and where it was going. Um and that's a hard that's a hard juxtaposition to mm-hmm. navigate.
0: hmm Um Yeah. There's um there's a a perennial temptation, I think. Although I don't know that we often construe it as a temptation. Uh, within a, a faith orientation, um, to look at a situation like that and try to tease out the meaning of it. Why, when you are the most buoyant uh, that you maybe you've ever been in your pastoral work, would God pull the rug out from underneath you? And uh, I'm not, I'm not asking you to, to um, discern some meaning, in part because I, I, um, there's like uh, uh, there is some level to which seeking a silver lining ends up being a a kind of form of spiritual abuse. <laughs> um, like this is bad, but you got to figure out some way to talk good about it. Um, and I th- and I, I think that's terrible. I really think it's terrible. I think of, uh, um, I have this like weird, like rhythm of revisiting, um, 90s music all the time. The 90s music that I grew up on. Um, there's an NPR story that I heard a number of years ago. that says the reason why you think th- the music that you listened to when you were, uh, between like 15 and 19 is the best music ever made is because of the way your brain was developing at the time. Um, and so, 90s music is the best music ever made because of the way my brain was developing at the time. Um, But there's this wonderful line in a Counting Crows song where Adam Durrett says, um, Hey, mister, if you're going to walk on water, could you toss a line my way? Um, And I, what happens to me now, I think at this end of what feels like a, years long season of of um, loose traction in trying to be the thing that I thought I was called to be and really believe I was called to be. What happens to me when the rug is pulled out is not a uh, seeking of silver lining, um, but of like a truth telling. Hey, I, if you're gonna walk on water, I'm like, would you mind dropping a line down here? Cause I'm not walking on water. I'm sinking. And I think, you know, we've talked about that form of, of prayer before it, it maps to the laments and the Psalms. I think this is a form of lament and I think it's a a, a, a for me, a really meaningful form of lament to be able to say the thing that I'm most deeply feeling later in the song, Adam Duritz says, um, something to the effect of, um, please don't, if you're going to walk on water, you know, you're only going to walk all over me. I'm under the water. And if you're walking on top of me, you're walking on my, my head. And I think that's Mm. so accurate. It's so meaningful. Uh, I'm interested to know, I'm interested to know what happens in you when you think about the moment the the pulling of the rug out from underneath what felt like this very buoyant very life-giving moment in your pastoral work what sort of things boil up for you
1: well i i mean i i think i mean i think that is what my my the the piece for this you know that we're that we're referencing mm-hmm. um and even that conversation you know we talked about this in, in, in our Um, our first sitting for this conversation Mm
0: -hmm.
1: which is to me it's not the swinging the hammer that the idea that working construction doesn't doesn't like I don't look at that and it's not an it's not a devaluing of that as a as a vocation it's a I can't make a living I can't make a living doing that that's not mm-hmm. i'm not skilled at that what, mm-hmm. what are you what are you telling me mm-hmm. um and the other thing is i think you know thinking about the adam uh the Counting Crows song mm-hmm. uh, it was a kind of uh it was a kind of holding my head under water mm. it's like so you're telling me that this acts does make me unfit for what mm-hmm. i think i'm called to do mm-hmm um you're you're saying what you're saying is i'm unfit mm-hmm. and that was my that that was my first thought is i'm gonna lose everything and then this voice comes in and says here i'm gonna help you i'm gonna take away the one thing that sort of makes sense that you you have that in my mind had some horizon to it right if like i one of the first thoughts that crossed my mind is I might lose my marriage over this, not because Mm -hmm. Heather and I are not, uh, we're at odds or anything, but I know that these kinds of life altering traumas put pressures on marriages and families in ways that they don't always survive it. And, um, rationally, or, you know, whether that was ever, whether my marriage was really ever threatened um, and it never felt like it was as we walked through it. That was the, that was a thought I had. And so here he was in some ways saying the, the one lifeline that you think you have, let me, let me, let me, let me take that too. Um, and so that, that's what part of what, how I process that. And then I do, I, I, I hear, I hear those, those lines, those lyrics, and, um, I, the, the, the reason I'm still a Christian, I, if I can say something like that, if that's something that I can actually know or measure or whatever, um, is because I think Jesus not only invites, but he models asking those very kinds of questions. Um, I think if if we're gonna take him seriously and not just completely, you know, sort of hermeneutic our way out of out of the moment when Jesus is on the cross or, or in the garden and he says. God, could you do this any other way? I don't, I don't want, I don't want to go through this. Um, and when he, when he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Um, you know, I, 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 I firmly believe that that was an honest um question Mm -hmm. from the lips of of jesus and so uh i i think that in as much as my piece is getting at that same kind of wrestling with the dissonance of this journey of faith that we're all on and we all feel those dissonances. Um, then the reason, the reason I could even put that, that piece out into the space, out into the world, you know, I could write it and think it, but for the only reason I can put it out, out there is because I'm, I'm convinced that, that Jesus, invites it and and models it for us um and so we don't have to i i think that means we don't have to we don't have to be okay with it
0: don't hold me to this podcast is produced by Shayner Newsom and me i'm jeremy reeves a big way you can support our work is by sharing this with your friends. And if you can't do that, force it on your family. Music this week is by Alexander Koltsov, The Turquoise Moon, and Gerardo Garcia Jr. Like the podcast, subscribe, and follow on whatever platform you are on. You can find out more, do some more reading, get in touch, and subscribe to our writings at dontholdmetothis.substack.com No apostrophe.